Have we fallen out of love with Silicon Valley? The reason I ask is because the world is a very, very big place and there's a lot of investment activity taking place elsewhere and sort of taking the shine off of Silicon Valley a bit. So I'm going to investigate that on the show today. I'm going to chew the fat with Edelman's global tech chair on the show. So here is episode 24 of Sideload. Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Jermaine Dallas and today we're talking about Silicon Valley. Is it still the jewel in the technology crown? And what's the opportunity for tech firms and investors elsewhere? Plus, I'll be asking the question, can you trust a self-driving car in 2018? Well, I guess to talk about these issues is no slouch. In fact, he's one of the top brass for Edelman globally. Sanjay Nair is the global technology chair at Edelman, and he's travelled all the way from San Fran just to be on the podcast today. Hashtag fake news. In all serious though, um, Sanjay has held top rank positions in Beijing and Singapore, and he has a very astute knowledge of the global tech market. So Sanjay, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jermaine. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great, brilliant. So let's just talk about your role as global um, technology chair. So what are the types of questions that you wrestle with every day and whether that be from a client perspective or colleagues or just your own mental wanderings? I think the, the most important question that I ask myself all the time is what is the value that I'm adding to my clients, my teams in the business today. It doesn't matter how many years I've been with the business. It doesn't matter the designation I have. It's always about the value I add to the clients, teams in the business. So when it comes to clients, it's, it's rolling up your sleeves and engaging with them uh, in this, the problems that they pose to Edelman and how best we can solve them. Uh, many a times it's about you know bringing the right teams to the table to solve those problems. Um, sometimes it's about you know um, asking different questions that may help redefine the problem so that we could drive real impact for the business. But it's it's all about solving problems for clients, and, and no matter what your level is, you need to be involved in that. When it comes to teams, I mean, at my role, I think the biggest job I have is to inspire the teams that they are part of a team that is trying to do something really cool and trying to be the best you know within the space that we operate in and that's not an easy job to do because uh, you know the world of comms is changing as you know we've mm. gone from PR to comms marketing and people have a lot of questions as to where do I sit in this value chain how can I make sure that I'm moving in a direction that is you know future-proof for me and I'll stay relevant so it's my job to continuously challenge them to think beyond the obvious and to push them to grow into the space that will ensure success in the long term. And when it comes to business, it's actually very simple. It's about making real business impact, which is tangible and measurable, whether it's about growing an existing client relationship or whether it's about winning new business. It's, it's all about tangible. So that's the question I always have in my mind is, what's the value that I bring to the table today? And you, as we mentioned in the intro, you have worked in Beijing, you've worked in Singapore, and now you're based in the States, albeit with a, with a global role. So what are the things that, or what are the ways that these very unique markets, how can they compete on the global scale in terms of technology? 
That's a very good question. It's a difficult question. So let me track back. Actually, I started my career in India. Okay. So as you know, India was known for its tech industry, but was primarily the back office for the global business. And it's moved along, you know, over the years. And it started off with big system integrators like uh, Infosys, um, TCS and the rest, but now they're getting into product development. It's not an easy transition to make, but that's the challenge and that's the aspiration that they have. When you look at Singapore, it's a very small country, right? It's mm. mostly been a consumer of technology, not necessarily a creator of technology. But you have companies like Razer now that are a hardware manufacturer coming up with gaming hardware that is competing at a global scale. So they're genuinely pushing you know, innovation in a big way and there's some real examples coming up. Europe is different in the sense that UK and France have always taken the lead in terms of innovation. But the one question I've always had is why are these companies not necessarily achieving global scale? I mean, they do have success in, in, a, in a country space or in a regional space, but not too many global brands coming out. And that would be the next you know, opportunity for a tech brand to emerge. You and know. How, how do they do that? Um, I think, so So let's complete the answer with China and then I'll come back to okay. how to do that. So China is an example, which is it's an amazing story. I spent five years there. And what, what China has over and above the fact that they want to be the innovation leaders in the world and they have massive investment and support from the government is they have a huge marketplace which has been protected for them to build critical mass before scaling. You know, so Tencent became what Tencent is today because it had a monopoly on, you know, building WeChat as a $750 million, or it's actually 1 billion plus users before scaling externally. Alibaba had China with 650 million e-commerce, you know, uh, consumers making the platform what it is today before it became a global thing. I think countries, to answer your question on in, in UK and France and others, the, the base, the home base is not that big. So sometimes the return on investment is not as high. So you need to be a bit more pragmatic in the investments you make. But looking at, you know, the, the geography as a region rather than as a country is a good way to kind of, you know, look at growing globally. Second is, Trying to solve problems that have not been tackled by others is also a unique way to grow, you know, marketplace. But, you know, with Macron spending uh, a lot of his personal brand equity behind startups in France and UK continuing to, you know, uh, compete and lead, um, it won't be too far before the next success story comes from here. That sounds good to me. So let me ask this question then. So um, I know you've, you follow the Silicon Valley very closely. So is the investor cash still flowing as freely as it used to, bearing in mind the fact you've got all this availability of investments from both China and Europe? Money is not the problem. I think there is a lot of money to be invested and Silicon Valley is still one of the, you know, the most preferred locations to invest. But the speed of investment is definitely coming down. And that's because of two reasons. One, um, somehow you, you get the feeling that the kind of problems that you know the companies in Silicon Valley are trying to solve are a bit detached from the real world problems. They're kind of living in a bubble of their own and trying to create niche needs for which they're solving, but not really solving the real issues that you know the people in the country or the world are facing. So have they so become a bit detached from reality? Do you think they have most certainly become detached from reality? So if you look at most of the success stories, we talk about Facebook, we talk about Snapchat. 
I mean, we're talking about social, right? So yes, there is a certain element of, you know, a need that it fills and, and there is, you know, utility in it, but it's not really solving a, a real world problem in any meaningful way. It's not helping create jobs in, you know, in a country that is, you know, struggling with economic growth and so on, um, or solving, you know, hunger or poverty or any of those real issues in any meaningful way. It's just trying to capitalize on this bubble where everybody wants to stay connected with each other, right? So. That is one reason why the investment is slowing down. The other one is increasing competition from countries, as I mentioned, in China, you know, where they've created Shenzhen as one location, which in the next 12 to 24 months will become the Shenzhen Bay, which will compete with the Bay Area in the US as a platform for companies to grow internationally. Is that the new Silicon Valley then, Shenzhen? It most certainly has the potential to be the new Silicon Valley because it combines Shenzhen as a city. And I don't know if you know this, um, the GDP of Shenzhen is actually bigger than Singapore and Hong Kong. Wow. So we're not talking about a small city or a state. It has grown massively. But it also combines Hong Kong and Guangzhou in, in, in terms of its neighboring proximity. So it has all the, you know, the, the, the natural tenants that made the Bay Area such a big success. It has capital. It has startups and it has the government support, you know, behind it in terms of infrastructure and tax cuts and so on and so forth. So I'll keep an eye out on Shenzhen Bay becoming the, the next, uh, you know, the Bay Area of the world. And um, there's also the competition in, the, in Europe as well, in the UK. So how does that fare in terms of um, comparing with the, the Silicon Valley? I think... Um, UK and France um, are unique in the sense that, you know, you're talking about really developed markets. So the kind of problems that you will look at solving will also be different. The, the real question is, you know, um, the, uh, the courage that some of these startups have to solve problems that are on a larger scale. You know, so you, you have to look at a marketplace which has, um, you know, for instance, if you're looking at the Indian subcontinent or you're looking at Latin America, you're looking at Africa, you know, you, you need to look at, you know, the, the size of the population for which you're solving the problem to achieve the scale that is required. Otherwise, you will have success, but it will be limited in terms of its scale and impact. So is there a trust issue that also needs to be addressed with Silicon Valley? Trust in technology, historically, you know, we at Edelman have studied trust for 18 years, and technology has always been the most trusted sector um, for all 18 years that we've studied it, right? But this year, it's slowing down. So chinks are definitely emerging. Just for the California cut itself, because you asked me about Silicon Valley, um, two-thirds of the people in the Bay Area feel that tech is under-regulated. Over 70% the women in California feel that the industry has not done enough for the gender issue. Over 70% also feel that they are not contributing enough to the societal needs. So clearly, you know, people are asking the questions on whether tech is uh, behaving in, in the ways that it should, given the success it has had. Um, it is still more trusted than other industries, but it needs to watch out uh, before it has a serious problem. Am I oversexing this to say that there is a bit of a backlash then in, in Silicon Valley? 
Um, to some extent, yes, there is. Um, because with the success of the tech industry, it, it has accompanied with some real life problems for the majority of the people, people living there, right? So the cost of living has skyrocketed. Um, housing is a massive challenge. Um, homelessness in the San Francisco city itself is completely out of control. Um, so the city is struggling to, you know, continue to provide the infrastructure for the success that tech has built for itself. And that's why I talk about its responsibility to act as a good neighbor. Mm. You know, there is a lot that the tech industry can do working with the government to address the issue of homelessness, for instance. It can do a lot to help improve the infrastructure that is crumbling under the pressure of so much, you know, growth that, that is happening. So people expect tech to behave uh, in a way that, you know, they, they'll always be welcome. If they don't, um, there will be a problem. The other issue is also about how proactively they address some of the policy challenges. So we've seen recently tech react to issues. So if there is a privacy breach, then breach, then suddenly everybody's talking about increased privacy norms. If there is a you know a sharing of data which you know about in terms of you know how the the entire election was influenced um, you know apparently by the Russians uh, in favor of uh, Trump and Facebook has come up admitting that they made a mistake and they didn't do enough. That impacts the trust that people have. They say that well you knew that this might have been an issue but you did not address it till it came out in the open and now you're reacting to it. So, so companies need to be more proactive about anticipating the issues that are likely to come up, whether it's privacy, security or otherwise, and address them in a way that is meaningful and in partnership with the government. And if they do that, there's no reason why the trust will continue to be good. Well, we're going to talk a bit more about trust and future tech, but first let's take a quick listen back to the last episode of Sideload where we discussed how technology will shape the next generation. we think about uh, life beyond this planet, if you think about a planet where uh, perhaps, depending on who you listen to, the impacts of uh, things such as climate change, or even an asteroid hitting us at one point, we've got to certainly think about uh, life beyond this planet. And if we're going to go life beyond this planet, uh, we have to go get into the world of interstellar travel, we need to go beyond this universe. If you can think about going beyond this universe, you need to go on a ship that's going to be, you know, traveling across the cosmos for hundreds of years. So actually a 600 year life would be one way of transcending this planet, transcending this universe. So it seems like a very plausible thing when you put it in that context. I mean, you know, we can try and colonize Mars, which is what you know, Elon Musk is doing. Bold steps there try and shape a planet towards the needs our needs or we can go and find another planet that we can uh, live on and exist on and for that we have to go interstellar. You're listening to Sideload and today we're discussing Silicon Valley and trust in tomorrow's technology. We're still here with Edelman's global tech chair Sanjay Nair. So uh, we mentioned trust just before the break and uh, you spoke about tech brands from the Edelman Trust Barometer at South by Southwest earlier this year. And one of the findings to come out of the Edelman Trust Barometer is the fact that newer technology innovations such as blockchain and self-driving cars just aren't as trusted as they need to be to gain acceptance. So what has to change? Do they just need better PR? I think it's more than just better PR. Um, I think it's a question of the society needing a new operating system as we enter the fourth industrial revolution. 
right? Literally, the entire infrastructure uh, that the society currently operates is fundamentally changing. As you have more 5G deployments happening, it provides infrastructure for data, right? You have um, AI and machine learning reaching a critical mass. You have automation finally, you know, showing impact in terms of, you know, not just efficiencies, but job displacement. So it, it requires a new operating system, which is, you know, how do you ensure that um, the algorithms that drive our lives today are trustworthy? How do you ensure that AI is not just intelligent, but is also ethical? You know, how do you address the issue of data ownership and ability to use? Right now, these are the things that cannot be tackled on a reactive basis. It, it requires partnership of technology companies working very closely with the government, maybe through, you know, organizations such as the World Economic Forum, which is actively engaged in shaping the policy for the future. So right now, I think most countries are behind the curve in terms of creating the policy infrastructure. If we are to see success ahead, they have to become you know, more proactive about it and build the infrastructure. But when you talk about new technologies like blockchain or um, you know, autonomous cars and so on and so forth, it's the responsibility of the technology providers to not just paint a rosy picture of all the good that is possible. It, they also need to talk about the caution that needs to be taken you know, in terms of how we implement these technologies so that people can believe um, them in a more you know normal way I mean they're presenting the pros and the cons they are you know shining the optimism but also uh, you know talking about what the challenges and issues might be I think a more balanced way of approaching these topics as they're new would be a good way for companies to approach them it's not going to freak people out though if we start talking about the negatives as well as the positives because naturally people will then zero in on the negatives won't they i think if you look at it i mean just let's talk about the ai debate itself even without companies doing anything there is enough of a debate going on whether it's going to be uh, the cause of humanity becoming irrelevant or is it going to be the next big thing right so that debate is already happening the point is, as a company, as a provider of that technology, you can either ignore that debate and just try and paint the picture that it's just brilliant and beautiful, or you can provide a balanced perspective. I think the latter would help build credibility for you. Um, are we expecting too much of consumers these days in the way that we expect them to trust very adventurous concepts, such as a car that can drive itself? Um, I think it's a natural evolution in terms of consumers' appetite to experiment with new technology. But then again, I would always, you know, put the caution of what is a want versus a need. You know, autonomous cars present huge, you know, potential for changing and improving the lives of, you know, the commuters on a daily basis, you know, in terms of efficiency, in terms of reducing the number of accidents and so on and so forth. But in the order of priority, um, where does it stack up, right? I mean, what are the challenges that we need to solve today before we kind of address that? So consumers are more willing to experiment with new technology as long as they can relate with the problem that it's trying to solve. So if it is something that is really addressing an issue and does not cause pain, to you know their peers then they'll be more embracing but if it is too far ahead of the curve and somebody's just trying to make money then you know obviously consumers will not like it um, a very different example um, one you know people sometimes mix 
automation with AI. They're two different things, as you know. Um, automation is happening and will be the first thing that truly transforms how businesses actually operate. A lot of the work is going to be done by bots, right? And you won't even know that bots are doing it. Um, I recently had an experience with uh, one of the apps that I use to order, you know, a few tiles for my walls pictures that are converted into tiles and there was a discrepancy in the order and I had to resolve that issue over email and I didn't realize I was talking to a bot because the bot was almost talking like a human being and it was so intelligent so that's necessarily going to transform you know our experience as consumers um, but at the same time it's also going to cause you know quite a few people to lose their jobs as customer sales executives so there's always a trade-off Hmm. Um, and I think that debate will go ongoing. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And that leads me to my next question, actually. So what will the future look like if and when these technologies take hold and how will society and industry change? Um, I would say that, um, you know, with 5G and IoT, you will see, you know, a lot of connectivity between devices, between technologies. With AI and machine learning becoming mainstream, you will see real transformational changes in terms of, you know, whether they are addressing real problems of, um, you know, finding cure to the most complex diseases or addressing the issue of hunger or just, you know, helping a company make more money selling online. I think that kind of impact you will see. And I just talked about automation, right? So these things will happen. The question is, will they happen in a way that the benefits of these technologies reach the majority or will it happen in a way that it's limited to a few you know globally whether it's the us europe or asia you are seeing this massive divide between haves and have-nots and the real question to be answered is is technology going to reduce the divide or is it going to increase the divide and that is where the governments have a very important role to play. You know, how do they create that policy infrastructure working with the tech industry so that the benefits are not just getting accrued just to a few and they're actually being, you know, more democratized in terms of how they impact the lives of the people. Um, and that was essentially the new operating system for the society that I talked about earlier. Great. Well, that's the ongoing challenge. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of Sideload. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And um, if you want to get in touch, send us an email to sideload at edelman.com. See you next time.